We're in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36 this morning, and we will put it on the screen, but if you have a Bible or there's a Bible in front of you, if you want to follow along, Luke 6, 27 through 36. You know, I grew up Baptist. I've been a member of Baptist churches my whole life. I'm happy to say that nobody ever tried to convince me that only Baptists are going to heaven because that would be a lie. Um, I, I, I will confess to you, however, that growing up, I sort of thought that, okay, we believe in the Bible and other Christians don't, or at least they don't believe in the Bible as much as we do. And so that makes us better. And that's not true, but that's what I believed. And especially once I got to be a young adult and, and I, I noticed it wasn't just Baptist, there was the, the Christian uh, community was sort of divided into two camps. You had your Bible-believing Christians over here who you know, the press calls evangelicals today. And, and over here, you had your non-Bible-believing churches, the, the churches that would be more willing to say, you know, Jonah didn't really get swallowed by a fish and Mary didn't really give birth as a virgin. You know, all those things, those obviously didn't happen. And, and all these teachings about sexuality and gender that would put us out of, out of step with society. We don't have to buy into those. Those things are obviously out of date. So that's, that's those churches who don't believe in the Bible. But whereas we believe in the Bible, right? And so we're better. And, and, and the longer I live and the more I, I just sit with the Holy Spirit convicting me, the more I realize that even us evangelical Bible believers over here, there are parts of the Bible we just choose to ignore or act like they aren't there. And I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, Christian leader, I'm not going to name his name. I'm not out to, I'm not to shame him, but as somebody whose name many of you would recognize, he's, he's one of these guys who's interviewed by the news media when they want to know what evangelical Christians are thinking. Um, so one of those interviewers was asking him, so explain to me, they said, why is it that, you know, 20 years ago, Christians were very big on, we only vote for candidates who have a certain kind of character. But now it seems that Christians will vote for any candidate that agrees with them, even candidates who don't, uh, who have a character that is obviously not uh, Jesus-like, who do things that are obviously not the kinds of things Jesus would do. Not only will you now vote for those kinds of people, they're, you're their staunchest supporters. You'll stand up and defend them when everybody else is, is criticizing. And he said, why is that? And this Christian leader said, well, it's because we're tired of being pushed around and we wanna vote for somebody who's willing to stand up and punch the bully for us. And the, the interviewer said, well, I, I thought the Bible says, turn the other cheek. And the Christian leader said, yeah, but we only have two cheeks. And the problem with that is, what he's really saying is, the teachings of Jesus in certain areas are okay to a point. But past that point, we have to, we have to take matters into our own hands. He's saying the Bible isn't really all the way true. I mean, imagine what if he would have said, you know, being faithful to your wife is a good thing, but you know, if you're not really satisfied in your marriage, you're perfectly entitled to go out and get that satisfaction elsewhere. Of course, we would have raised an uproar over that. But we didn't when this Christian leader said this. I bet most of you didn't even hear this. It didn't make news among Christians. Why? Because there are parts of the Bible, there are parts of the teachings of Jesus Christ that we choose to ignore, that we choose not to take seriously. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you today, he meant it, every bit of it. And we're gonna, we're gonna walk through one of the harder teachings of Jesus, one of the harder things to follow, and we're gonna ask, how can anyone live this way? Why would anyone try? And the answer, I'll tell you off the, right from the beginning, I'm gonna spoil the whole thing. The answer is because heaven is real, okay? So we're in Luke 6, 
By the way, just for your information, this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. The more famous version is in Matthew, Matthew chapters five through seven. Sermon on the Mount is a moment when Jesus sat down with his disciples and said, here's what it means to follow me. Not here's how you get saved, but here's the way you're going to live the the more you grow in me. Here's the kinds of people I am setting you up to be so that you can be salt of the earth, so that you can be light in the darkness, so that you can be a city on a hill drawing others to me. So here's what Jesus says in Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you in the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your, your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. So he's talking about how we treat three different groups of people. So let's walk through those three groups. Number one, he says, how we treat those who wanna hurt us. Those who want to hurt us. There are gonna be people, I know, I know as lovable as you are, there are gonna be people during the course of your life who wish you harm, who, who actively try to hurt you in various ways. And he says, the way we respond to those people must always consistently be, we love them, we do good to them, we bless them, we pray for them. Now, how can that be? Immediately, objections rise up in our minds. The best person in this room, whoever he or she might be, immediately hears that and says, Lord, we can't do that. Why? Well, won't won't evil go unrestrained? Won't, Won't criminals just rob with impunity? Won't murderers just walk away free? Well, you need to, this is where it's one of those many, many uh, examples of why it's so important to know the whole counsel of God's word. Remember, we did a series back in the summer out of context. We talked about how you can take a verse out of context and make it say something the Bible doesn't really say. This is one of those examples. Look at Romans 13 sometime. Romans 13 says that God has ordained governing authorities, kings, presidents, governors, Congress, police. God has ordained governing authorities, and he has given them a sword. In other words, he has given them the right and the responsibility to use force to restrain evil. This is why, for instance, if a Christian man or woman enlists in the military or signs up to be on the police force, they're not disobeying the command of God. This is why as Christian believers, if someone commits a crime against you, you don't just say, oh, well, I forgive you. You it's your responsibility to report that crime to the authorities. Why? Because if they've assaulted you, they're going to assault someone else. If they've stolen from you, they're going to steal from someone else. For the sake of society, we allow the governing authorities to do their job. What Jesus is saying does not apply to governments. It does not apply to nations, to states, to, to cities. It applies to individual people. So when someone robs from me, I don't hunt them down and kill them right? If somebody steals my car, I don't go burn their house down. I call the police. This is what Jesus is saying. 
but it's not all he's saying. You, you might say, okay, so, so I, I am not allowed to gain personal vengeance and I am not allowed to, uh, to go out and, and hurt people who've hurt me. So does that mean that if somebody attacks me today and just jumps on me and starts pounding me that I just have to take it? Well, look again at what Jesus says. His example that he gives in, in verse 29, he says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, now ask, you, ask yourself the question. And I know there's probably not a lot of, you know, street fighters in the room. There might be a few. But if you're really trying to take someone out, you don't slap them on the cheek. That's a way to start a fight. That's not a way to finish a fight. What is, it, what is a slap on the cheek about? A slap on the cheek is about an insult. It's about making you look small. So this is not a command that says that you're not allowed to defend yourself from harm. We, we have examples in the book of Acts where Paul was about to be beaten and he uses the law of Rome to defend himself so that he's not beaten. He doesn't look at this and say, oh yeah, you just beat me all you want. No, we're allowed to defend ourselves. We're allowed to defend those who are weaker, those who can't help themselves. What we're not allowed to do is take personal vengeance. What Jesus is saying is when you're insulted, don't insult back. And we've all been insulted. We've all known what this feels like. We've been hurt. We've been wounded. I, I remember working uh, in college. There was a, a, a lady that we worked with who quit to take another job. And the boss told us all that she got fired. Yeah, I fired her because she was, she was doing this and this and this. And we all knew that wasn't true. Imagine if that happened to you. Imagine, imagine you hear through the grapevine that your old boss is saying, I fired her, I fired him because he was stole from the company or he was lazy or whatever you would want to call everybody up and tell them that it wasn't true. In fact, you'd, wanted to ruin, you'd want to ruin his reputation for making you look bad in the, in, the, in the eyes of others. Or imagine you're at a party and somebody makes a joke about you that is something that you're really sensitive about. I mean, they hit you right in the heart and everyone laughs and you feel about that high and you immediately start thinking of, okay, what's, what's a good comeback? What is something they're sensitive about? How can I bring them down even lower than they brought me? Or what about those people who've actually hurt you? Not just an insult. What about in your past? I, I tell you, as a pastor, I'm not giving away any secrets here, but as a pastor, I know every family has some deep wound. And sometimes in every family, every individual has some deep wound. And some of you, if you stood up and told your story, the rest of us would weep. So what are you supposed to do, right? The world tells us you'll never get closure until that person gets what's coming to them. You, you, you just have to go and expose them. You have to, you have to make them look bad. You have, to, you have to destroy them and then you can feel good. That's what the world says, but Jesus says no. See, Jesus says that if your boss, the one who's, tell, who's ruining your reputation, if you hear that he's sick and he's bed bound, that you show up with a, you know, a, a tray of, of homemade King Ranch chicken and some brownies, and, and unless you're a really terrible cook, in which case that would not be an act of love. And so you bring him Chick-fil-A, but you go and you, and you minister to him. You love it. You don't say anything about what he did to you. You just, hey, I heard you were sick. Can I help you out? You run into that friend who embarrassed you at that party and she sees you in the HEB and she's like, oh, I feel really awkward because I know I was a jerk to you. You don't even mention it. You walk up to her and you give her a hug and you say, how you doing? I've been, I've been thinking about you. And that person who hurt you, that person who wounded you, I, I, I don't want anybody here to think I'm making light of the wounds you've experienced. I'm not. God would never do that. I cannot do that. But when they pop into your head, we, we usually use that as an inspiration for, to go off on a tangent of thinking of all the things we want to do to them, all the, all the horrible things we want to see happen to them. But instead, why not use that as inspiration 
to obey the word of God and say, okay, Lord, they've popped into my head. Devil probably put them there, but I'm I'm gonna shame the devil. I'm gonna pray for their good. I'm gonna pray for something good to happen. And I'm gonna pray for their salvation. I don't want to, I don't feel like it. But you know what? Love is not about what you feel. Love is about what you do. You may not wanna bring lunch to your boss's house. You may not want to be kind to that person who was a jerk. And you sure may not want to pray for that person who hurt you. But when you choose to do that, you're loving and you're doing what Christ commanded. But why? Why would you do that? I mean, Jesus is going to forgive you even if you don't, right? Why would we do the hard thing? Because heaven is real. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Second group of people Jesus talks about are those who have less than we do. In verse 30, he says, give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods. Do not demand them back. Now I need to clarify the second half of that statement. He's not talking about when you're robbed. He's not saying if someone, if someone robs you at gunpoint on the street that you're supposed to say, okay, but let me show you what's in my car too. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, in fact, if you, if you look at the verse before, he, he talks about if, if you give someone your cloak, give them your tunic also. He, he's saying, He's saying, if you see someone in need, go the extra mile. See somebody who doesn't have a coat, give them a coat, but ask them if they have socks. Ask them if they need a hat. Go overboard with generosity because that's what God has done for you. And you and I might say, yeah, but reality says that if we live that way, it's going to subsidize bad behavior. If I give money to everybody who asks me for money, how how do I know those people aren't going to go out and buy drugs, right? If I, if I help my friend who doesn't know how to manage his money, isn't that, just gonna, isn't that just gonna incentivize him continuing to be irresponsible? Again, the full counsel of God's word helps us. Second, Second Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13. Look it up sometime. It's a letter from Paul to a church that was going through exactly that situation. They were, they were helping some of their members charitably, knowing that some of those members weren't doing what they could to help themselves. And Paul says, okay, here's the rule from now on for you. If that guy won't work, don't feed him anymore. Quit giving him free food if he refuses to get off his rear end and go out and get a job. And so putting those two scriptures together, Jesus says, okay, don't withhold from anyone who asks from you. Paul says, if they won't work, don't eat. What is he saying? What what are we to do? Well, look at the very next verse, verse 31, the golden rule. What does verse 31 say? It says, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. You may know this, but nearly every religion that man has invented has a version of the golden rule in in which it says something like, hey, whatever you don't want people to do to you, don't do that to them. But that's the negative version. That's easier. Jesus gave us the golden version, the hard version. You go beyond just don't do harm. You go to whatever you would want someone to do for you in that situation, that's what you need to do. So, to just give an example. Let's say that I'm really irresponsible with my money. Um, I probably am, but Carrie pays the bills, so we would never know. But let's say I'm, I'm like that and I'm about to get evicted from my home and I'm your friend and I come to you and I say, hey, I, I need you know, X number of dollars by, by the end of October or my family and I are getting, we're getting the heave-ho. They're gonna, they're gonna repossess our house. Now, our tendency in those situations is either to say, hey, sorry, buddy, you made your bed, lie in it. Or to say, you know, I've got, here's, here's, here's $100. That's, that's literally the most I can give. Because you feel generous. $100 isn't nothing. And, and it, gets, it gets me off your back. 
But what would you want someone to do for you in that situation? What do you most need? What you need is someone who, yeah, is going to make an attempt to try to meet your needs. Let's get together, our life group. Let's, let's put money in a hat, and maybe we can come up with the $500 that, that Jeff needs so his family's not out on the street. But even more, it's y'all sitting down with me, especially those of you who are good with money, and just saying, okay, listen, first of all, Jeff, it's the only time we're going to pay your mortgage. So you got to get your act together. Number two, these are the things we see in you that need to change or else you'll be right back where you started from. Now that's love. Is that easy? Is that fun? No. And that's why we don't do it. We look at Jesus's command and we're like, "Uh, but Lord, I've got enough plates spinning right now without trying to help every person who ever comes to me for help. Can't I just throw some money at them and walk away? Can't I just say, hey, I gave my tithe. Jesus says, no, treat them the way you would want to be treated. And our response is, why, Lord? Why? It's just going to make my life harder because heaven is real. That's why. Now let's look at that third group. The third group are those who aren't our kind of people. Now, this is something I didn't really realize about this passage until literally this time. I've read this over and over again. And I always thought in verses 32 to 34, when Jesus is saying, hey, if, you're, if you love those who love you, uh, even sinners love those kinds of people. And if you, if you do good to those, don't sinners do the same thing? He says the word sinners four times in that passage. It's up there on the screen. You can count it. And I always thought what he was saying was, Even the worst people around are good to people who are good to them. So you ought to at least be better than the worst people. That's what I always thought he meant. But then I realized the word sinners had a particular meaning in Jesus's time. See, as New Testament Christians, those of us who are believers in Jesus and have given our heart to Christ, we would all stand up and say, I am a sinner who needs redemption. But back then they didn't think that way. Back then, they would look at someone and say, wait, you're a tax collector? Wait, you're a prostitute? Wait, you, you cheated on your spouse? Wait, you've, you've, done, you've done these particular kinds of sins, therefore, you're not fit to enter the, kingdom, enter the, the community of God. You can't, you can't come to the synagogue anymore. So if you were disqualified by society from participating in the festivals, in coming to weekly worship, you were considered a sinner. And what Jesus is saying is these people, these untouchables, these lowest of the low, they're good to each other as a survival instinct. They have to be good to each other because nobody else will be. They're not going to help you and you're not going to help them. That's the way the world is. What Jesus is saying is the gospel ought to make things different. We ought, to, we ought to be able to overcome those differences, whether it's based on uh, culture, whether it's based on color, whether it's based on, on, on our, our lifestyle or our habits or our thoughts. You know, one of the things that really grieves me is we're in a time in our country, still the best country in the world, in my opinion, and yet, and yet we're fracturing. Why? And they talk about we're right now in, in a sort of cold civil war where, where everything's sorting into red states are getting redder and blue states are getting bluer. You know why? Because none of us think we can stand to be around somebody who's different than us. So, you know, I, I couldn't live in that place. All those, you, do you know how those people vote? I can't live there. And they better not come here because I don't want any of their kind here. And Jesus says, the gospel ought to make us overcome all that stuff. So I'm going to give an, an analogy here and, and it's going to sound insensitive. So, you know, I, I hope I do a good job of saying it in a sensitive way. Probably won't. But my last church, 
I went to student camp with the youth ministry and we were staying on a college campus. It was impact camp, like, I, like our, our students went to this last summer. So we were staying on a college campus. So that meant everybody had to have a roommate. Kids were in a room, rooms of two. And so the, the student minister, of course, had to come up with, okay, who's gonna room with who? And he showed me the list on the way there. And I thought, well, he's, he's done a good job. He's, he set kids up with kids they're friends with, but there was a problem. There always is. There were a couple of boys in the group who were obnoxious and socially awkward. And, and the youth minister knew if I pair them up with anybody, that person's gonna complain and the other kid's gonna get his feelings hurt. Now, let me just, as a side note, because what I just said sounds really insensitive, being awkward in high school happens to most of us. It's not a death sentence. I've known kids who were incredibly awkward in high school and junior high, went on to be absolutely uh, well-adjusted, loving, happy adults. I've known people who were the big man on campus in high school, and after high school, they were lost and aimless and all they want to do is relive glory days. So your high school social status doesn't define you, okay? Let me just say that. That, that, That's my parentheses. Now, back to the story. So he takes these two boys that are just so obnoxious and he puts them in a room together. And I thought, okay, that's as good a solution as any. But then we get there and he reads out the rooming assignments and I am not making this up. In front of everyone, one of the two boys goes, hey, whoa, wait a second, I can't room with him. Put me somewhere else. I cannot room with him. Do you know how obnoxious he is? <laughs> True story. And it made me mad. I wanted to go, hey, you're worse. <laughs> but I didn't. Aren't you proud of me? And, and, but at the same time, I thought, I wonder how often God looks at us while we're looking down our nose at somebody else because of their race, because of their politics, because of their lifestyle, because of whatever, their socioeconomic level. And God's like, you think you're better? Do you really think you're better? Don't you realize, and this is the truth, and I hope you realize it. I hope, I hope this is your reality. This is your identity. Every human being on this earth has two things in common. And one of them's good and one of them's bad. The good is every human being is made in the image of Almighty God, which means they are worth more than all the rest of the universe put together. And, and, and on the other hand, every human being on the face of the earth is possessed of a sin nature that is so evil and wicked that we literally need a miracle from God just to be saved. And so, no, that person is not worse than you. Jesus says, love them. Go out of the way. Be the one person in your group that goes through those barriers and loves those people. And you say, but then my group will see me as a traitor. But then I won't, what if they're mean to me over there? Those people don't like us either. I, why should I do this, Lord? Because heaven is real. Okay, Jeff, well, you've been saying that, but what does heaven have to do with it? I mean, when I think about heaven, I just think about the fact that I'm saved. And even if I don't do any of these things, God's gonna forgive me anyway. So what, is, what does heaven have to do with it? He says in verse 35, love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. He's talking about an eternal reward. He's not talking about anything earthly, right? Because let's face it, being generous to poor people doesn't make anybody rich. In fact, it's the opposite. And loving your enemies doesn't make you more powerful. In fact, if you want to be powerful, you crush your enemies. And, and, and you know, loving people who aren't like you, that are part of the wrong crowd, that doesn't give you extra popularity. In fact, it makes it harder for you to be popular among your own kind. And so how do I get a reward? Well, obviously that reward is a heavenly reward and you have to understand none of this is how you get to heaven. We are saved by grace. 
And that's what he says next. He says, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind and ungrateful to the evil. He is kind, I'm sorry, he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And if you want to know the difference between a real Christian and a phony, it's not, it's not that the real Christian goes to the right church. It's not that they know more of the Bible. It's not that they tithe bigger or even that they're better at obeying the commandments. The, the difference between a real Christian and a phony is the real Christian looks at those two words, ungrateful and evil, and says, that's me. That I'm saved only by the grace of God. That Jesus loved me when I was his enemy. It, Jesus was generous to me when I was poor. In my hands, no prize I bring, but simply to thy cross I cling. Jesus, even though I'm not even Jewish, not even part of the, of the, of the chosen people, he grafted me into the vine, right? He made a way for me to be saved. So Jesus already did all these things for me. And if I do those things, then he will reward me. Now, what do those rewards mean? If it's not your entrance into heaven, well, the Bible talks about when it talks about heaven, it talks about there being rewards in that place. And some people will be rewarded more than others. Now, I'll just stand and tell you, I don't know what those rewards are. A lot of old songs, maybe you've even heard sermons that make it sound like it's all about the house you live in. Like, okay, if I do really good, I'll live in a mansion. If I don't, I'll live in a, you know, a double wide or whatever. I don't think that's the way it's going to work. But I don't know. I do know that God is so amazing and so wise and so loving that he'll structure a kind of reward system that will be absolutely right. And it will be the kind of thing that you and I will, will rejoice in, even if we're not the ones getting rewarded. Even if we look at, at that person uh, that we knew on earth and we were sort of up here socially and they were down here, but in the kingdom of heaven, they're up here and we're somewhere down here. We'll, we'll praise God for it and we'll say, yeah, Lord, you know how to do things because on the earth, it's all about how you look and who your daddy is and how much money you make and what kind of car you drive. But you're actually, you actually rewarded things that count. So praise you, Lord, that you blessed and you've rewarded and honored people who were so faithful to you. What I do know is, what I do know is that if you love your enemies in this world, if you obey, you dare to obey this difficult command, you're going to get the reward of knowing that some of those enemies are now your brothers and sisters in Christ. And for all eternity, you'll bump into them and, and, and both of you will laugh. Remember when we hated each other? Isn't that crazy? Now I would die for you. Now you're like my, you're like my twin. And, and if, you're, if you're kind to those who have less, Think about the eternal gratitude that a heavenly father will have for someone who was there for his little girl or his little boy when they had nothing to eat, when they had nothing to wear, when they were about to get, get thrown out of their house. And, and if you love those who aren't like you, first of all, how countercultural is that? How, how good of a witness is that to the world? But second of all, when we stand in that great choir that's mentioned in the book of Revelation, made up of every nation, tribe, race, and tongue, and you're going to say, this is what I've been rating. This is what I've been preparing for. This is the way I've already been living because God told me to love people who weren't like me. And you're going to praise the Lord for that. See, every person who lives on the new earth by the grace of God is going to be infinitely happier than they ever were in this life. But if there are different levels of reward in heaven, and I think there are, and the Bible simply, uh, you know, clearly teaches that there are, it indicates to me that throughout eternity, you're going to be reminded 
you know, I had a chance. I had a chance. I had, I had 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years on earth to do what Jesus commanded, and I didn't because it was too hard. I told myself, that's not practical. And then there will be others who will lift up on our shoulders and say, this is the one. This is somebody who lifted out, who chose to obey the word of God and who drew others to himself. So think about it. Imagine there's a young man who falls in love with a young woman and he, he sees her from across a crowded room. She's just moved into his, into his town and, and she's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. I mean, compared to her, supermodels and, and movie stars are like middle linebackers. And not only is she beautiful, but she's intelligent and she's, she's, uh, she's got her act together and she's compassionate and gracious and she's everything he's looking for. And so he's like, okay, I am gonna marry that woman. And so what does he do? He hits the gym and he gets all big and muscular and he wears his tight t-shirt and he shoves people around and he's like, I'm the alpha male and uh, don't you want to go out to the movies with me? And she says very kindly, listen, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but you're not really the the guy for me. I'm looking for a a really good man. So he goes out and he he maxes out his credit cards to buy really expensive clothes and he he, he gets a car that's too expensive for himself because he wants to put on the airs of being very, very successful. And after a while of this, after letting everyone know how well he's doing, he goes to her and he says, oh, you wanna you know, take a ride in my, in my Mercedes and we'll go to this nice restaurant. And, and she's like, well, you know, thank you. That's very generous and I'm happy for your success. But what I'm looking for is not all that flashy stuff. I'm looking for a good man. So he's like, well, you know, chicks love rock stars. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn to play the guitar and sing. And it turns out he's actually very talented. And after a while, he earns a record contract and, and becomes a, a nationally known artist. And so after touring for a, for a few months, he's like, okay, I'm gonna drop back in and, and surely now, surely now she'll, she'll be thrilled to go out with me. But when he gets back to his hometown, he finds out she's actually engaged to somebody else and he's devastated. He says, well, I gotta find out who this guy is. And he goes and meets the guy and walks away thoroughly unimpressed. He sits down with his friends and says, okay, I don't understand. All that I went through to try to win her heart and she gets married, she's gonna get married to this guy and he's not, he's not, he's not big and strong, he's not, not particularly good looking. He's not rich. He's not successful. He's not talented. He's just average Joe. Why does she, what does he have that, that I don't have? And they said, you never listened to her, did you? She said she was looking for a good man. While you were doing all these external things, you should have worked on your character. You should have become a better person. And see, that's not a good analogy. That's not a perfect analogy because Jesus accepts you just as you are. If Jesus is looking for good people, we're all lost. So that's not, the, that's not the gospel. Where the analogy kicks in is this. If you say, yeah, I'm saved, I'm redeemed, but I wanna live a life that makes God proud. I wanna bless him. I wanna represent him well. And I want to, I wanna enjoy an eternal reward for having lived a life well-lived. Then don't tell yourself you're doing it just because you don't say four-letter words or because you show up at church on Sunday or because you don't cheat on your spouse. Good for you on all those things. Keep it up. But God says, love your enemies. Be generous to those who don't have. Give to those who ask. Love everybody, even the people who aren't like you, not just the people who do good to you. Do we believe the word of God or not?